Hello, welcome back to Talking Dogs. Now, some call me the dog father, but you know me by now, so you can call me Graham if you like. Over the last decade, I've helped train hundreds of dogs. I've seen them all, from Frenchies and Westies, young German Shepherds to old English Sheepdogs. You might have watched me at work on TV's Dogs Behaving Very Badly. Now, I love this. It's the place where I can share even more advice and experience with you directly because you've got so many great questions and I'm sure loads of other people are wondering, you know, the same sort of things as well. So, thanks for being here with me. Let's get started with today's training. Last week we talked about socialisation, which is essentially, well, it's the art of getting your dog used to loads of different surroundings, noises, other dogs other people so they're perfectly chilled in lots of scenarios and the earlier on you can do that well the better now for one reason or another though some dogs can be reactive especially towards other dogs or people so if you've already got to that stage that's what i'm going to talk about today now first up here's bailey hi i'm bailey i have an english bull terrier called ruby she's lovely with us and her family she loves my parents dog which is a rottweiler however she's a complete nightmare with other dogs she growls on the streets she leaps at them she just looks like a complete devil dog and also um, with other people that she doesn't know she will also growl at them well before lockdown when you could have people over she would never let anyone feel comfortable she would eye, constantly give them eye contact and just consistently growl she would stop when we would say the word no, but she would, after a while, start again. But we just really want her to get along with other dogs and other people, just for her benefit. Hopefully you can help. <laughs> Bless you. Um, Bailey, you sound lovely. Uh, you also sound as you might be from Essex, I'm not sure. Uh, if you are, I love Essex. By the way, if you're listening in Essex, um, friendly people in Essex, I'm always offered a cup of tea and a fake tan. Anyway, dogs, back to basics. Um, what do we mean by reactivity? Well, that could encompass lots of things. I mean, we all react to different things all the time. But when we're talking about a reactive dog, it's come to mean something. So, you know, if you offered me a custard cream, I'm going to react, aren't I? I'm going to smile uh, and hold my hand out. And then I'll eat the custard cream and then I'll probably react again with an even bigger smile. But that's not the kind of reaction we're talking about here, clearly. We're talking about anything sort of unwanted. So lunging towards uh, another dog or person, perhaps uh, barking, pulling on the lead, that kind of thing. So when the sight or potentially even sound or on rare occasions, the smell of another animal triggers one of those unwanted behaviours. That's the kind of reaction I'm talking about. So I think there is a question here about nurture or nature. Some dogs were sort of born with, let's just call it a propensity, a likelihood that they'll develop those kind of antagonistic behaviours, if I can call it that. You know what I mean? Now, that's not to say there's nothing you can do about it. Other dogs... Well, they were fine until perhaps something happened in life and they learned to get rid of the other dog. So the classic case would be my dog was fine until he was attacked by a bigger dog, scared the, the bejesus out of him. The next thing you know, every time he sees a dog, interestingly often of that kind, it was a, let's say, this would be unusual, but a yellow Labrador that attacked him and he goes for yellow Labradors now. If you've got a rescued dog, you really don't know. Now, often when I meet a dog for the first time, I'm trying to assess that. So to what extent is this problem, it's nature, it's in their, in their nature to be like that, and to, to what extent have they learned it? 
Now, that's important to me. If it's just in their nature, then we are working against the tide a bit. And there are things we can do. I'll talk about that. If it's something they learn, then okay, great. Potentially, we can sort of unlearn that. In the case of not enough socialisation, and lockdown has been a problem for dogs that were young during that time, puppies, it's a case of what they never learn. That's also a, an effect of, uh, of nurture, not nature. So what's the underlying emotion for this dog? So let's come back to your dog, Bailey. So, so it sounds like Ruby was always a bit that way. Right, so before lockdown, you said she would, you know, fix people with the stare, she would growl. I mean, that's a dog's way of saying, Look, don't come near me, I just don't want to be your friend, so just keep a distance, right? And it sounds like that's kind of got worse. So it probably was in her nature to be like that, but probably also what's happened is if you do give those signals off, let's say effectively, right? It's no value judgment on that one, but I'm simply saying it works. She then feels rewarded because the people or the other dog backs off. She then says, oh, I'll do that again. That's nurture, isn't it? So I don't think in her case, this is necessarily about fear, but she might be a bit of a nervy kind of dog. Now, the other thing that I'm thinking maybe going on is you sound like a really responsible owner. Um, you're very conscious that she looks like a devil dog in your words, right? I know exactly what you mean. I used to have a couple of Rotties, which I think everybody knows. And when you've got certain breeds, let's say Rottweiler, Staffy at the moment, uh, English Bull Terriers to some extent, the Bull Breeds, you're very conscious that you don't want people to jump to the wrong conclusion because people will tend to pigeonhole you. Yeah, that's going to be an aggressive dog and a bad person, which isn't true, of course, in almost every case. So I wonder, Bailey, whether or not your reaction to everything might not be helping. You're the one who has to sort of step up here and be take the lead in this situation. So to some extent, I think if you just do nothing and ignore the situation, then it's likely to get worse because it's self-rewarding. She reacts badly, they back off, she goes, that's what I wanted, thanks, I'll do it again. So you do need to be saying no, but you need to deliver that in a, in a very sort of assertive, calm, but firm kind of way. Do you know what I mean? So if you think about... Uh, and I think I've probably said this before on the podcast in a previous episode, but if you think of the sort of teachers at school, there was always one teacher who lost the plot, screamed and shouted all the time, and nobody ever listened. In fact, it was a bit of a laugh to wind them up, wasn't it? But there was the other teacher who really had it, and when they walked in the room, it was like, oh, ah, yeah, it's Mrs. So-and-so, we better not mess about. You need to be that kind of person. So say no. Uh, if you feel you can do it without yourself getting a nip, step in the way, block with your leg, but when she calms down, or if you see a dog or a person and she doesn't react, it's equally important, probably more important, to actually make sure you praise the good bits. If it really feels, honestly, like it's all negative, like there is no opportunity to put any sort of good girl in, that's probably because you're trying too much too soon. So try and choose a place where you can be a distance from the things that trigger your dog and then practice at that distance build it up uh, over time by getting nearer and nearer Sometimes people would describe a dog's behaviour like Ruby as everything sort of simmering and then she just boils over 
Yeah, you can almost feel it coming. It's like, mmm, kapow, right? It sounds very much with Ruby that it's like that because you describe the staring, the growl. So let's talk about boiling over. Think about a pan of boiling milk, right? You can sense it coming. If you, most of us have probably been there where you've got a pan of boiling milk on the go and you take your eye off it for a moment and then when you look back, it's just rising in the pan. It's like, whoa! And if you manage to grab it and take it off the heat, you can just catch it and it simmers back down again. You go, whoa! That was a close thing. If you wait until it's already at the top and rounded at the top and spilling over the edge and all over your stove, well, it's a bit late by then, isn't it? Now, do you know what? That's often the point when people do react with their dogs. So either they weren't looking, they took the eye off the boiling milk pan, or they were just waiting and waiting and waiting and doing nothing. Sometimes people say to me, oh, he's going to go in a minute. And what they've seen is that the dog is doing the stare thing, the body's perhaps gone forward. Ears are interesting because they could be back if the dog's nervous or sometimes bold to upright forward, depending on the breed, if they're alert. You know, the tail often isn't wagging, but it sometimes can be if they're just excited and not happy. But you just get this overall sense that something bad is about to happen. You know, everything's gone do-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum. It's a bit like that. Now is the time to act. No, stay firm. Do the block if necessary. And if she comes back down, okay, good girl, step away. It'll probably happen again, you know, and you've got to do that repeatedly. The point of all this and this idea of boiling over is catch it as it's turning from a, from a simmer to a boiling thing. Act sooner than you probably already are. Most people go too late. So the importance of getting your own body language right is pretty easy to understand. Um, if you look really anxious and tense, then we can't really hope that, that your dog's going to be relaxed. That it, What we do does rub off on them. And an easy way to think of it is it's the same with other humans. If you're in a waiting room somewhere and two or three people on either side of you look really, really anxious and worried, it rubs off on you. So you've really got to take that lead. And here's the great thing. Even if you're not feeling it, if you are, even if you are thinking, oh, this isn't good, if on the outside you can project a kind of, I've got this, I know what I'm doing, right, then you're fine. I'll let you into a little secret. Half the time if you watch me on the telly and I'm putting out this like, it's fine, I know what I'm doing, there are definitely times where I'm thinking, oh, I'm in trouble here. <laughs> but you wouldn't know from looking. That's the point. There are going to be times, though, when despite your best efforts, boom, there's a dog there and your dog's already reacted. The milk has already spilt over, so to speak. So, for example, you're walking down a road and there's a tight corner. You can't look around the corner. And just as luck would have it, the moment you get to the apex of that corner, boom, there's another dog. Really difficult. So do your best to carry on as normal, right? Keep walking if you can. A lot of people then stop. It's just our natural reaction to freeze sometimes when we're scared you know that that pang of fear hits you keep walking by all means apologize i'm sorry sorry about my dog uh, and all that but you've got to say to yourself there's no learning to be had here this was a bit of a lost opportunity you know there'll be another one coming so um you basically stick that one down to experience and don't look like you're panicking because if you do look like you're panicking she'll remember that and then she's likely to go yeah stand back mother i know what i'm doing i've got a method that works i'll get rid of them myself and that's not what you want Now, a quick one from a lady called Roma. She's got double trouble. I have two Romanian rescue dogs and they are adorable. However, they can be reactive. 
to other dogs when they're out in their walks. Sometimes the dogs are calm when they're walking and then one will become reactive and then the other becomes reactive and sometimes trying to manage this is really hard. So how do you manage two dogs in terms of their reactivity when you're taking them out to walk? Right, Roman, th this is really interesting. Uh, it's something that a lot of people ask. So what happens when you've got two dogs that are both reacting? Well, it sounds like in your case, they're both capable of being the one who reacts, right? Or indeed being the one who didn't until the other one set them off. You never know where it's coming from, right? In most cases, it's more likely to be one than the other. Or a lot of people would say, actually, he's he always starts it and then she joins in, for example. All the things that I just talked about previously with Bailey do apply. However, it's really difficult to do it with two dogs all at once. So my top advice is is take the dogs out separately so you can get a bit of sense out of them for a period of time. So I would take one dog out, I can concentrate 100% on that dog, I can keep an eye out for that boiling pan, yeah? And if the dog doesn't react, great. Now, you might say, yeah, but actually if I take them out individually, neither of them will actually react, I don't think, because they get excited when they're together, in which case, there's a clue, keep things calmer. It's often the case when you've already got two dogs, the, the excitement level starts to sort of go ding, 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 ding. And that's when it tips over into something else. Even if you've got that case, I would still be taking them out individually to bed in a load of good experiences. The focus really with most things should be on the positive. So if you can get lots of good experiences in, it's like, yeah, you saw a dog, you didn't react, you got told you're a good boy or good girl. Great. Again, we often forget to do the good bit. Initially, I'd be walking dog A for a bit, dog B for a bit. We've all got a life, so that may well mean that for a temporary period, each dog's getting slightly less of a walk because you've only got so much time to give, but do your best. That's a period of time that's, that's really well spent. And then, you know what I'm going to say, there comes a point when you put the two dogs together. When you put the two together, it won't be as good as when they were individual. You'll have lost at least half the control you thought you had, right? Just so you know. But that's okay, because at least you're not starting from zero. We bedded in some good behaviour. We got them into a good habit individually first, and then we put the two together. Then, game on. You're walking down the road. My advice, by the way, would be have one dog either side if you can do that. Now, there's times when people can't. Perhaps you walk with a stick or something like that. But if you can, dog on the left, dog on the right. And when you were walking them individually, by the way, you would always have kept left-hand dog left, right-hand dog right, so they kind of know where they belong, so it all looks familiar when you've got them together. Makes sense, yeah? So we're now walking along. We've got a dog either side, and the trick is to walk along. You spot something in the, in the distance. Like most people with a reactive dog, you'll have developed that radar <laughs> for spotting trouble a mile off, right? You spot them, you think, oh, there we go. As you get a bit nearer, it's like, which one's going to go first? I don't know. But you sort of split your brain in two, if that makes sense, and you're open to whichever one might go. But as soon as one starts to react, it's like, ah, no. If you can nip it in the bud it's likely they'll come back down, that's fine. Everything can go back to calmness. It's that catching the boiling milk pan again, really. It's not dogs that Sarah's two-year-old Cavapoo Molly is reacting to, but people, specifically small children. Um, she's emailed to say this, 
Molly is a delightful softie, but she's developed a fear of small children. We pass by on walks and she lunges and barks at them. Now, previously, pre-COVID, she loved them patting and stroking her, but she's forgotten all that thanks to the lockdown. Hmm, it's, it's quite a problem, this, isn't it? Um, we hope to have our small grandchildren to stay soon, but they're typically boisterous and noisy. How can we start prepping her for them and manage the future visit without barks and tears all round? That's a really good question. And I think you've hit on something there. I think the lockdowns have caused us all sorts of problems. I think everybody's aware that separation anxiety was likely to be a problem when people went back to work. But there's loads of things like this. She wasn't deprived of walks, I'm sure, during the lockdown. In fact, the one thing that most of us did was, was we went out and got our exercise in walking. So dogs got walks, but people weren't coming up close to us within that two metres, of course, saying hello to the dog and patting the dog. So all it takes is a year of that. That on and off and your dog's like no this is wrong what are you doing coming and touching me you know so it's a case of sort of getting used to it bit by bit again and that's the secret so i think one of one of the principles that we, we need to talk about is when you've got reactivity of any sort start easy as best you can and work your way up so i've got a little bit of an idea for you what you need if you think about it is to get used to the idea of small children being around but normally, anywhere you go where there's kids about, they're going to come up and try and patter, and then you're back to square one every time. Aren't you? But what if you went to, if you can find a park near you where there's a play area, you know the sort of play areas that usually got a bit of a fence around them, right? If there's a bench somewhere, ideally, it doesn't matter if there isn't, you hang around at a distance, right, so that you can see the children. They're probably not going to be coming running up and, and, and want to play with you because you're at a, a distance where they're not that conscious of you and they're happy playing doing the stuff that they're doing they're distracted in other words so you should be able to get again some of those experiences under your belt as i sort of said before where she's going there's children over there it's no big deal it's fine and you can get a bit nearer and a little bit nearer if you're particularly worried i know she's only a little dog cavapoo they're quite cute the poodle side is kind of interesting because poodles can be a little bit snappy and I, and I don't want to sort of suggest that all poodles are bad dogs far from it of course but often that crosses with with a bit of poodle in them they just have this little bit of an edge when they're nervous it's it's like i'm, I'm going to snap back it's just in the programming you know <laughs> it's that dna thing again so if you're in doubt you could always get a, a nicely fitting muzzle and that's maybe a point if you've got a reactive dog a muzzle could be your best friend because it, it means that you can relax. Nobody's going to get hurt, particularly if there's any doubt about small children. So the question is really how to get used to a muzzle. And I would do that in the house, nice and easy. Don't go ramming it on every time you're about to go out. Just, you know, you come up, there's a muzzle. There might be a bit of food in the bottom. So she sticks her nose in, like you hold it like a bowl, if that makes sense. You know, she goes, oh, food, great. Thank you very much. Back out again. And she starts to get used to the idea. This muzzle's like great news. What you now need to do is make a bridge between the outside world and getting used to children there and your grandchildren coming to the house. So what I'd do, Sarah, is I'd meet the family outside, arrange for that, go for a little walk and then come back to the house. We talked about this before with meeting other dogs and it's exactly the same principle with, with little children as well. So the benefit with this one is she'll got used to children outside. That's fine. It's OK. It's fine. And then we're in the house. And don't force a dog 
to go say hello if they're not sure about it. That's a massive mistake because sometimes in our efforts to prove that our dog's okay, really, it's like, come on, come and say hello, come and say hello. And we're dragging this dog forward on a lead and the dog's like, no, no, no. It's like, no, slowly but surely is the way to go. Do you know when you've got a dog that's nervous of people, your biggest problem is often the dog lover. Yeah, because they're the ones that come up going, hi, oh, what a cute, oh, lovely. Oh, we used to have one of these, something like an EBT, English Bull Terrier. That would be the one, wouldn't it? It's like, no, no, thanks, but she's not so, you know, happy. It's fine, they'll say. They're all right with me. Sticking their hand where they shouldn't. People like that are a bit of a nightmare. By the way, I hope I haven't offended you. If you are that person, just think twice. Think of it from the dog's point of view. Here's this great, enthusiastic, excited human coming up and sticking a whacking great hand down. If the dog's nervous, you're as big to a dog as an oak tree is to you. That can be pretty scary. Well, thank you for being here for another episode of Talking Dogs. If you've got an issue that you and your dog have been struggling with alone, why not send me an email or a voice note? You can get in touch at talkingdogs at avalonuk.com. I'd love to be answering your questions soon. Oh, by the way, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified as soon as the next episode is available. Till then, look after yourself, your loved ones, and of course, your dogs. Bye for now. <laughs>